Thank you for subscribing to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. Parkway Fellowship, commonly referred to as The Park, is a purpose-driven church in Katy, Texas, recognized for its innovation and rapid growth. Designed for the person who might not be used to attending church, The Park, one of the only purpose-driven churches in the area, has quickly become one of the most popular West Houston churches for people new to their faith, to church, or to living in the Katy area. It is our prayer that God changes your life through this message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Hey, good morning. My name is Mike McGowan. I'm the pastor here at Parkway Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to church this morning. Uh, yes, for the grand opening of our kids and children's building, but also for round one of this very important message series called Our Family Fights. You know, I remember, I remember an event that happened to me when I was a little kid. I remember it, honestly, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was about 10 years old, <clears throat> and uh, one night my parents got into a huge fight. I mean, it was a huge fight. They asked me and my brother to leave the room, which by the way, we were very happy to do because we could feel the wrath building. We just kind of didn't want it to fall on us. And so, um, but I remember I was in my room, man, there were raised voices for a long time. And I remember lying down in my bed, crying that night. And I remember, there, I remember just laying there crying because for the first time in my life, I realized that my parents were not acting lovingly towards each other. And I remember lying there thinking, my parents are going to get a divorce. And I just, the thought of my parents splitting up, I'm telling you, it crushed me on the inside. I mean, I... It just crushed me. I remember lying there in my bed that night crying. And I was praying to God. I was begging God to please not let my parents get a divorce. To please not let my family get split up. Honestly, I wasn't even a Christian at the time. But I was praying to God because, honestly, I didn't know what else to do. I I didn't know... Where else to turn? Now, my parents didn't get divorced. They're still very happily married. And uh, now that I'm adult looking back on that, I honestly, I don't think they were really close to divorce. But that night for me was so traumatic that I remember it vividly. Because the people in this world that I loved the most and that I needed the most were fighting. And it tore me apart inside. Because you see, when the people in our lives that we love the most and we need the most, when they're fighting, it tears us up inside. You know, when moms and dads fight, it, it tears down the love that they have between each other. When parents fight with kids and kids fight back with parents, it stresses everybody out, right? When brothers and sisters fight, it makes us as parents think that we're not doing a good job rearing our kids. And when 
grandparents get at odds with grandkids. It causes a rift in the relationship between the parents and the grandparents. Because I'm telling you, grandkids will push grandparents to the max, I promise. Okay? It does happen. You know, I mean, and as we think about that, I mean, when our families fight, honestly, I got to tell you, I don't think it ought to be our goal that we, in our families, that we never fuss or we never have conflict. God never puts that burden on us. He doesn't put that expectation on us anywhere in the Bible. But I do think that kids shouldn't have to cry themselves to sleep at night. I do think that moms, that, that husbands and wives shouldn't, shouldn't be at odds with each other so much that they try to sleep as far away from each other as they can in the same bed or even in different rooms. I think that grandparents ought to be able to have such a great influence on their grandkids' lives that those that that time spent with their grandkids should become invaluable and not unbearable. And so for this entire message series, we're going to be talking about how we should fight for our families and not with our families. Parents fighting for their kids. Kids fighting for a right relationship with their siblings. Grandparents fighting for their grandkids, fighting for a right relationship even with their grown kids. Husbands and wives fighting for each other because God wants us to fight as a family but to fight for each other and not with each other. And so that brings us to our message series, our message today. How do I start? How do I start? Well, the people of Israel found themselves in a very similar situation in which most families in America find themselves. Their families, they they had been through so much turmoil, so much difficulty, Many of their families had split up, not because of divorce, but because they'd been taken into captivity in a foreign land. And then a great leader named Nehemiah walks on the scene. And when Nehemiah comes on the scene, he realizes that part of the problem for the families in the city of Jerusalem was that the walls of the city were lying in shambles, offering no protection from outside forces, from thieves, from enemy nations, from, even from wild animals. And so the families that were left were in great turmoil because they had no protection. <laughs> and then Nehemiah does something brilliant. Something so unforeseen, something so unexpected, something so imaginative that after he does it, it literally changes the course of every family in the city. And if we would follow his example, it could change the course of our families as well. So go ahead and pull out your message notes if you haven't done so already. And let's begin by asking this question. How can I fight for my family? How can I fight for my family? Well, here's the first thing that you and I can do. Number one is this, never give up hope. Never, never give up hope. Look what the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10. It says, Meanwhile, 
the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Would you circle the word rubble? Circle that word. Look, they were facing so much opposition from enemies from every side. And at this point, nothing was going their way. I mean, the work on the wall was incredibly slow. They had very, very little progress rebuilding the wall. And there's so much rubble and stuff lying around. Then it made building the wall really, really hard. It made it harder than it really should have been. And at this point in the story, man, hope was slipping away. And it was slipping away fast. You know? Perhaps you feel like that this morning. Perhaps over in this corner for you and your family is rubble. Perhaps for you, it's rubble. Because for you and your family, there have been so many fights. There's been so much conflict. There have been so many hurt feelings. There have been so many arguments. There have been so many things that have gone wrong. There have been so many unmet expectations. There have been so many disappointments. Things just simply haven't worked out like, you, like you've said. That it has just left rubble in your family lying around because there's been so many hurt feelings there's so many past issues there's so much insecurity that has now been built up and has been fed into your family there's been so much strife so many arguments so many challenges that the thought (laughs) that you just don't know that you can forgive much less forget And so for you, all of the rubble lying around has made it so difficult for you and for your family. But over in this corner, God says there's hope. God says there's hope. Look at this next verse. Psalm 130, verse 7. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Would you circle those four words? Hope in the Lord. Because with the Lord, there's mercy And with him, there is unlimited forgiveness. Look, God's not talking about like just wishful thinking here like, oh, I'm just hoping that everything will work out. No, no, no. God says, put your hope in him because he is the only one that can fix things, that can turn things around, no matter how much rubble's lying around in your family. Why should you put your hope in the Lord? Why him? Look what the Bible says right after Moses asked God almost the exact same question. Here's what the Bible says. In Numbers eleven twenty three. The Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not what I say will come true for you. So I'll say to you the same thing. Is the Lord's arm too short? Is he or is he not strong enough to change anything in your life. Because, listen, when you let God into the mix of your life, even into the, like, the mixed up parts of your life, there is hope. He brings hope. I'm telling you, I've seen God rescue marriages that literally were headed to divorce court the very next morning. I've seen God restore relationships between father and son, mother and daughter, between brother and sister. I've seen God use grandparents to influence their grandkids in such an incredible way that it literally changed the course of their little lives. 
I'm telling you, there is no limit to what God can do if you will just simply not give up hope. But when we spend so much time over here, you know, looking at all the rubble, you know, with our head down, looking at all the things in the past, all the things that have gone wrong, all the things that should have been but really haven't been, man, that's when hope begins to slip away. But we'll lift our eyes and we will get our eyes on the Lord. I'm telling you, that's when hope comes back. That's when hope can be restored. You know, and for some of you in this room, that's the big thing that you needed to hear today. The big thing you needed to hear is that there is hope. Because look, when you let God back into the mix of your marriage, of your parenting, of your family, the one thing that he always brings with him is hope. He always brings hope with him. Always. So look, never, ever, ever give up hope. No matter how much rubble is lying around. Because with God, there's always hope. Because he can do anything. But Nehemiah doesn't stop there. He tells the people of Israel, and he tells you and me that we need to do a second thing. second thing he says is this. He says, focus on what is priority. Focus on what is priority. Look what Nehemiah did. When the enemies were about to attack, and the wall wasn't yet totally rebuilt, look what he did. Amazing. This is the unexpected, unforeseen thing that he did. Nehemiah 4.13. Therefore... I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families. Circle that phrase. Posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. What a brilliant tactic. I mean, he posted them by families. He put family members side by side and told them to band together and fight. But Nehemiah then takes it to a whole nother level. Look what he says. He tells them to focus on the real priority. Check it out. Verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. And underline the rest of this. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. I mean, out of all the things that he told, could have told the people, it's like, hey, you know, keep your eyes out for the enemy. Watch for a sneak attack. Okay, men up front, women, children back. You know, hey, don't trip on the rubble. I mean, he could have told them any of those things, but he doesn't. Instead, he tells them, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. I, I, honestly, when I, when I look at that as like a battle strategy, that doesn't sound very practical now, does it? But it was exactly what the people needed. Because here's the thing. In this corner, they had some key decisions that they had to make. They had some key decisions. that They had to decide, were they going to stand there and fight the enemy when they came against them? 
They had to decide if they were going to continue to rebuild the wall despite all the rubble that was making the progress really slow. They had to decide, are they going to stick it out and stick with this project until it's finished? Or were they going to leave early, go home and start planting their crops in order to get ready for winter? Now look, all of those other options are very reasonable choices. And a lot of them were actually very good. And so Nehemiah says in the midst of decisions they had to make, he says to them, he's like, hey, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Because they had to make some decisions about whether they were going to do what they thought was good and reasonable or whether they were going to make God their number one priority in their life, okay? Now, here's their next fill-in. Here's the big benefit of focusing on God as the number one priority. Here it is. It makes all other decisions easier. It makes all other decisions easier. What do I mean by that? Let me give you an example. Here at Parkway Fellowship, we only do two things. Only two. That's it. We do the Sunday a.m. service and we do small groups. That's all. Those two things. That's it. And it makes decisions around here very easy. Like when our staff is thinking about, hey, whether we should or we should not do a certain activity, if it doesn't have anything to do with the Sunday AM service or small groups, we don't do it. It's an easy decision for us. I mean, look, we could fill the calendar with, you know, banquets and events and Bible studies and leagues and, you know, who knows what all else, but we don't because we focus on two things and focusing on those two things, it makes all the other decisions easier. Here's the principle you need to learn from this. This is your next fill-in. The priority answers the question before it's asked. The priority answers the question before it's asked. So according to Nehemiah, he says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Basically, he says, make God your number one priority. Make sure that God is your number one priority because when you do, it makes all your other decisions easier. And that priority answers the question before it's asked. For instance, if your son is asked to play on a select baseball team, but that baseball team is going to require him to be out of church and out of a small group for the entire season, then the decision is easy if God is your number one priority. But if he's not your number one priority, then you really wrestle with it. You're like, oh, I don't know. Maybe we should let him play because, you know, then he could, like, you know, maybe get a scholarship. His education could be paid for. I mean, maybe he could even go pro. Let me ask you this. Is God big enough to pay for your kid's education without a baseball scholarship? He is. He is. Um, do you think God is more likely to help your family if you have God as the number one priority or you decide to take all these decisions and make them out of your own wisdom and thoughts? Which do you think God is going to honor the most? I mean, I think it's clear. I, honestly, and it could be anything that could take you out of church and your family out of church or out of small group. The two places that would really help you grow as a Christ follower. It could be anything. I mean, it could be a lake house. It could be a boat. Um, it could be a different kind of sport. It could be dance. It could be band. It could be work. It could be staying out late. It could be, you know, sleeping in. I mean, it could be anything. 
But bottom line, if it competes with God as the number one priority, that doesn't help your family. It hurts your family. Because God says, in order, for our fam- in order to fight for your family, he has to be the number one priority. I mean, that's what Nehemiah is getting at. I mean, honestly, I have never heard of a family that after they fall apart, they say, you know what? Our problem was we just focused too much on God. If only we had focused more on soccer. But how many families do you know that have fallen apart or parents that are divorced or grandparents looking back on their life and they say, you know, I wish we had focused on God more. Now here's the thing. This is your next feeling. Write this down. The Lord will help you fight for your family when you are a part of his family. The Lord will help you fight for your family when you are a part of his family. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that if you want God to help you fight for your family, you've got to make sure that you're a part of his spiritual family. You have to make sure that you are a Christ follower. You become a Christ follower by asking Jesus Christ to come into your life to forgive you for everything you've ever done and then pledge your life to following him. But you need to understand this. Your sins separate you from God. Your sins separate you from God um, during this life while you're here on this earth and they will forever separate you from God when you step out of this life. Look, that's why if you haven't made a choice to become a Christ follower yet, that's why when you pray, like you feel like God is very distant or you feel like he doesn't even hear your prayers because your sins separate you from God. But God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die on a cross so that his death could pay the price for your sins, so that your sins could be forgiven, so that the gap could be closed and you could have a relationship with God while you're here on this earth. And then when you die and you step out of this earth, you could go to heaven and have a relationship with him forever. But until you become a Christ follower, your sins will forever, for an eternity, separate you from God. So how do you become a Christ follower? By praying a simple prayer, asking Jesus to come into your life to forgive you and pledge your life to following him. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. And how do you pray that simple prayer? Well, I've actually reprinted that a sample of that kind of a prayer for you here in your bulletin. I'm going to read it. And listen, as I read it, I want you to think, have you, I think to yourself, Have I ever prayed this prayer or something like it at any time in my life? I want you to be thinking about that as I read it. Here it is. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me even when I've ignored you and gone my own way. I need you in my life and I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and forgive me for all my sins. Please come into my heart right now. Thank you for coming into my heart and making me a new person inside. I pledge to put you in charge of my life every day. Amen. Now look, if you've never prayed that prayer or one like it, if you've never prayed that before in your life, I'm going to give you a chance to do so. I'm going to give you a chance to do it right now. So here's what I want to do. I want everybody in the room, bow your head and close your eyes. Everybody, 
I don't want anybody looking around. Nobody look around. Bow your head, close your eyes. If you have never prayed that prayer before, but you're ready to do so right now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to slip your hand up in the air and make eye contact with me and tell them I make eye contact with you. If you've never prayed this prayer before, but you're ready to do it right now, slip, just slip your hand up in the air and make eye contact with me until I make eye contact with you, okay? Awesome, fantastic, thank you. Awesome, thank you. Who else? Awesome, I see you, thank you. Awesome, thank you. Awesome, so proud of you. Fantastic, proud of you, way to go. Who else? Just until I make eye Yes, that's great, man. Who else? Yes, I see you. Fabulous. Anybody else? All right, that's great. Anybody else? Fantastic. Thank you. Proud of you for doing that. Now, here's what we're going to do. If you raise your hand and you made eye contact with me, everybody else, keep, everybody keep your head bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to repeat this prayer phrase by phrase, and I want you to repeat it silently to God as your own prayer. And as long as you mean the words, Jesus will come into your life, forgive you, and transform you from the inside out. Everybody else, if you're already a crossfire, I just want you to pray for these people that raise their hands. And so repeat this silently in a prayer to God as I repeat it out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me even when I've ignored you and gone my own way. I need you in my life. And I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And forgive me for all my sins. Please come into my heart right now. Thank you for coming into my heart. And making me a new person inside. I pledge to put you in charge of my life every day. Amen. All right, everybody, look up here. Let's give these people that pray that for the first time a round of applause. Man, congratulations. That is awesome. That is the first step to inviting God into your life to help you fight for your family. But all of us need to do a third thing. Here it is. Number three. We're going to wrap it up with this. I need to fight for my family because no one else will. Because no one else will. Look how Nehemiah wraps it up. End of verse 14. He says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Look, this is the verse that's on the back of the t-shirt that's for sale out in the foyer. I mean, don't you look at this. Look what he says here. The whole family is supposed to fight for the whole family. It wasn't just the parents. It wasn't just the kids. It was the whole family fighting for the whole family. And look, during this entire series, while we're in here learning how to fight for your family, your kids and your teenagers are in their classrooms learning how to fight for your family as well. But look, mom and dad, it has to start with you. Grandparents, it has to start with you. Yes, your kids, your teenagers need to join you in this fight, but it has to start with you. Why? 
Because no one will fight for your family like you will. No one will fight for your family like you will. God wants us to line up as a family. Single moms, husbands, wives, teenagers, grandparents, grandkids. He wants us to line up as a family, stand against the world, stand against anything that would come against our families and our extended families, and fight for our family, not with our family. Because nobody will fight for your family like you will. Nobody else will. And so it is up to you to begin to do that. And for the rest of this sermon series, every message in this series, we're going to talk about how you practically can go about doing that. And we will continue next week when we talk about how to have less conflict within your family. So here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to pull out your connection card, hold it right next to your message notes. On the card and on the notes, check the next step or steps you're willing to take today. Number one. With God in the mix, I refuse to give up hope in my marriage and in my family. Would you check that? By the way, I want you to check it on the card because we're going to pray for every single person by name that turns in a card. So make sure you're filling out your card. But check it on the message notes so you can remember what you committed to. You're going to take that part home. Number two, I'm making God my number one priority and all other decisions about what we do as a family or don't do will flow from that priority. That is awesome. That is a huge commitment. Would you commit to that? Number three, I pray to become a Christ follower for the first time in my life today. If you prayed that prayer, you make eye contact with me, you raise your hand, you prayed that prayer for the first time, check that box because I'm going to mail you some free stuff in the mail that's going to help you get started. You know what? Maybe you didn't look at me, but halfway through you decide, you know, I'm going to do this anyway. If that's you, check that box. I also want all of you to, that, that prayed that prayer for the first time, make sure you pick up a new believer packet. It's on a little table before you walk outside of each of these five doors. Grab one of those on your way out today, okay? Next, I will come to hear the rest of the Our Family Fight sermon series. Six more. Would you make a six-week investment in your family by making sure that you're here? Would you do that? Awesome. Next, I will memorize Nehemiah 4.14. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. That's my memory verse for this week. Would you make it yours too? Next, sign me up for a small group this fall. Look, we only do two things at this church, Sunday morning and small group. And if you only come to Sunday morning, you're missing half of everything that goes on in this church. We've had more than 1,000 people sign up, well over 1,000 people sign up for a small group so far. If you haven't signed up for a small group, there's a catalog. Write the code down right there. You can also sign up online, but write the code right there, and you'll get signed up today, because all small groups start this week. Next one, sign my child or teenager up for a small group this fall. There's special small groups for your kids and teenagers. Write your kid's name, because we don't know who you're signing up. Write your kid's name down and the code that goes with their small group right on that line. You're going to turn this in in the offering here in just a few moments. Let me pray for you as Pat and the band come back up. Father, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you that it is your plan. God, not just that you would fight for our families, but God, that you would equip and empower and embolden us to fight for our families as well. It's never been your design that we fight with each other. So God, help us to fight for each other. And I ask that you would bring every single person in this room back next week to hear more about how we can have a little less conflict and a little more leadership in our families. And God, I ask those families that came this morning as a last-ditch effort, God, that you would help them never to give up hope. God, that when you are in the mix, 
The one thing that you bring with you every single time is hope. Whether a family is already broken apart, whether there are teenagers in this room that are thinking about their future families, how they want them to be different. God, I ask that you would help those kids never give up hope and put their trust in you fully and completely. I ask you to do all of this for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. Our prayer is that God has given you at least one next step to take today in your walk with Christ. For more information about Parkway Fellowship or to contact us, visit www.parkwayfellowship.com. To talk with a pastor about becoming a Christ follower for the first time, you can call our offices at 832-222-9282. 